and welcome to another edition of the Weekly Wrap. In this episode, we will be telling you what you can expect from the 22 October issue of Farmers Weekly, which will be on shelf on 15 October. My name is Janine Ryan, and with me today is Yolinda Schroeder. Hi, Yolinda. Hi, Janine. On the cover this week is an article on choosing the ideal fodder crop to meet your cattle's nutrition. There's also an article on the dye need for veterinarians in South Africa and how a South African developed robot is helping blueberry pickers improve their picking rates. Also featured is an article on possible solutions to South Africa's honeybee shortage. But this week I want to focus on the livestock article which goes into great detail on fodder crops. As all farmers know, adequate nutrition is crucial to ensure that the animals produce as possible. Top performers are indeed a result of genetics but are also a result of environment and nutrition. Renowned grazing specialist Professor Chris Danhauser says that while felt remains the cheapest grazing available, you can drastically lower its productivity by not planting the right pastures for your animals. Smuts finger grass, for example, is very popular in medium to high rainfall areas and is adapted to a wide range of soil types, says Danhauser. Where should smuts finger grass mainly be grown? It should be grown in most parts of Northwest, the Free State, Kauteng, Mapumalanga, KwaZulu-Natal and Lapopo in areas with more than 500 millimeters of rain per year. Um, it should be planted from October to December or in February and can be used for green grazing, hay and foggage production. Uh, white buffalo grass is best planted in medium to high rainfall areas with over 500 millimeters of rain per annum, especially when planted in fertile soil. It is sensitive to severe frost, but can survive light frost. This grass can be used as green grazing, hay and foggage, but needs a medium to high level of fertilization. It should also be planted from October to December or in February. Another popular grass grown here is blue buffalo grass, which is well adapted to conditions in Limpopo and the warm parts of northwestern Pumalanga. It's a good grazing crop in its young stage and a good source of hay. Uh, Rhodes grass is also popular in western South Africa, especially in high rainfall areas. It can adapt to saline conditions and various soil types. It is also easy to establish, forms above ground runners, and is consequently good for erosion control. October to December or February are ideal for planting Rhodes grass. Uh, Dunhauser also says that fodder sorghum is adapted to most soils and grows well in areas with a rainfall of over 500 millimeters um, per annum. It can be used as green grazing, green chop, hay, foggage and silage and needs a medium to high level of fertilization. When should fodder sorghum be grown? Uh, fodder sorghum should be established in October in warm areas at and November or December in cooler areas, three to four cuttings of grazing cycles are possible. Danhauser advises farmers to start grazing cattle when the grass is 70 to 100 centimeters tall, while sheep can be grazed from when the crop is 50 centimeters tall. Pearl millet is a drought-resistant annual fodder crop. It has been adapted to most areas in South Africa with a rainfall of over 400 millimeters per annum. It is widely used even in rural areas, says Danhauser can be used as green grazing, hay and silage, and its grain can even be eaten by people. Combined with annual legumes such as cowpeas, pearl millet produces good forage. Uh, the newer hybrid cultivars also have better regrowth abilities, says Danhauser. In another article this week, we speak to Emily Cock, a Karoof sheep farmer and winner of several carcass competitions. She speaks about her struggles to run a successful sheep operation on communal land. 
What are the main challenges she faces farming on communal land? One of the big challenges she faces is the relationship between the farmers on Fjordfontein, where she farms, the relationship between the 11 farmers on the farm is 10, she says. She adds that people are jealous of one another and that it is difficult to reach agreement on decisions that affect all of the farmers, such as the maintenance of the camps, the water infrastructure, and general security. She gives the houses and buildings on the farm as an example. There's only one shed for the farmers to store their feed, and the other shed, which government built a few years back, has been completely stripped and is now useless. The workers' houses are standing empty, as is the main farmhouse, which is in a state of disrepair. She says, if we could work together as a group, the main house can be converted into a guest house or rented out for someone to stay in. Now it's just empty and falling apart. Another challenge she faces is a lack of land. She only has capacity for 60 animals, but currently has 107 sheep. She has applied for another allocation of land, but has not been successful thus far. She adds that there's extra land available on the commonage, but that animal theft is a real problem there as it's too close to town. Linda, what is in the news this week? In this week's news pages, the spotlight fell firmly on Transnet. At South Africa Sports in particular, years of mismanagement and corruption at Transnet have led to critical maintenance and infrastructure development not being performed, according to the Citrus Growers Association. The approximately 215 billion rand that was lost during the state capture years was meant for the replacement and upgrading of infrastructure and equipment at Transnet and other state entities. What are some of the equipment and or infrastructure that need replacement? The funds should have been used for the procurement or replacement of tugboats, pilot boats, helicopters, rubber tire gantry cranes, reach stackers and hauliers. The situation is now so bad that shipping li lines are withdrawing services from some of these ports. Steve Harris of the United National Transport Unit, the uh, majority unit representing transit employees, it says that although Transnet does not want to admit it, it's basically broke. In a second story, Transnet freight rail's failure to maintain adequate fire breaks around train tracks is aiding the spread of wildfires in Northwest. Since the start of May, Northwest had lost two firefighters, while 12% of the province's total agricultural land of just over 564,000 hectares had been destroyed by fire. The asset loss due to, due to fires is currently estimated at between 2.75 billion and 3.5 billion. At least nine of the fires in the province started on property owned by the South African National Roads Agency, with two of these having started on Transnet freight rail property. The fire near Potchenstroom started at the Frederikstad station and burnt along 16 kilometers of railway track before crossing into Hateng, where it was eventually contained. What role does firebreaks play in preventing such fires? The Northwest Umbrella Fire Protection Agency explains that if fire breaks have been made as required by the National Fell Forest Fire Act of 1998, the fires would have been easier to bring under control. Fire breaks are essential along railway lines because when a train passes, the friction of the iron wheels on the iron tracks sends sparks flying, which can set the files alight.
Another story that made the headlines is the delay being experienced in establishing a cannabis and hemp production industry in South Africa. According to Leslie Zettler, CEO of Falbridge Medicinal Cannabis Cultivators, the biggest obstacles at the moment are legislation and regulations which are impeding the development and supply of the local cannabis market. Meanwhile, the Northwest Agriculture Department said it had received a lot of interest from farmers and individuals for both cannabis and hemp production and manufacturing. However, the department was awaiting the approval of the master plan and legislation of, for cannabis production before it would fully participate in the development of a cannabis economy. The Western Cape Department of Agriculture also said it was awaiting the approval of the master plan before clearly defining the role of agriculture in its implementation. Now for some good news, the US Department of Agriculture recently announced that an African swine fever virus vaccine candidate ha has been adapted to grow in a cell line. This means that those involved in vaccine production will no longer have to rely on live pigs and their fresh cells to produce vaccines. What does this mean for South Africa? Dr. Peter Evans, veterinary liaison officer at the South African Pork Producers Organization, explains that African swine fever used to be an African problem, but now it's being recognized as a global problem with huge financial and biosecurity implications. Once a viable vaccine is available, it would hold many implications for farmers in South Africa. It will all depend on factors such as the affordability of the vaccine and the efficacy and application method, he explained. South Africa has a highly sophisticated commercial piggeries, but there's also a large informal sector where people keep pigs in their backyards. Different producers will use different criteria when evaluating the potential usage of a vaccine in their specific production system once it becomes available, he said. That's all from me this week. Thank you, Yolinda. Remember to get your 22 October issue of Farmers Weekly on 15 October. And also remember to follow us on our social media pages. Until next time, keep safe and happy farming.